1: Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. It's been said that beneath Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming, There exists a supervolcano, so big, that if it were to erupt, it would spew enough ash and rock into the atmosphere to destroy the world. Or at least most of it. We have nothing to worry about, though, as such an event wouldn't occur for another few thousand years. But volcanoes do erupt, and when they do, they have devastating effects on the people and areas surrounding them. They dramatically change the landscape, and, at least in one case, how the population of the planet looks at the world. To understand how, we need to go back in time to 1883. The Indonesian island of Krakatoa had been active for some time. Earthquakes from the region had rippled out as far as Australia, and there was evidence that something big was brewing below. For weeks, vents forming around the island blasted steam and ash into the atmosphere, turning the sky dark and casting a black fog over everything. Then the eruptions got worse each one firing more and more debris into the air and sending out shock waves that could be felt for miles. The final explosion was so loud, it could be heard over 3,000 miles away. 165 villages were destroyed, more than 36,000 people died, and two-thirds of the island was annihilated. So, yeah, it was bad. But a strange side effect of the eruption happened shortly after. The skies had been transformed. Darker, sure. With all that ash floating in the air, but sunsets in particular were affected. As the sun began to dip below the horizon, the sky lit up in dazzling shades of orange and yellow and white. Such wondrous sunsets could be seen as far as England and Norway. Photography at the time couldn't produce pictures with any color, let alone reflect the skies in all their glory. However, another medium could. Artists were so captivated by the colors overhead they took to painting the sunsets more vibrant than any photo could ever exhibit. William Ascroft painted and sketched dozens of scenes of the blazing skies over the Thames in Chelsea. His works are so lifelike, the clouds appear to be on fire, swallowing the vulnerable blue expanse behind them. Since we don't have color photographs of the skies at the time, Ascroft's sketches are as close as we can get to experiencing even a fraction of what he saw. The poet Gerard Manley Hopkins attempted to paint the sunsets with his words, describing them as looking more like inflamed flesh than the lucid reds of ordinary sunsets. He also wrote, It bathes the whole sky. It is mistaken for the reflection of a great fire. But he wasn't the only artist influenced by Krakatoa's afterglow. Another painter, this one from Norway, looked up and didn't see fire he saw blood. To him, someone had sliced open the sky like a vein and coated everything in red. It instilled in him a feeling of angst, of despair, as though the world had ended and only he had survived. He channeled these feelings onto the canvas, producing four different versions of a painting that has come to symbolize the entire expressionist movement. Knowing all of this, it becomes clear that the painting subject is most likely the artist himself. In it, he stands on a wooden platform set against a blue sea. Overhead, the sky swirls with red, orange, and white. The man's head is deformed and his hands frame each side of his face, which is trapped in a chilling look of horror. A scream. The scream. Painted by and of Edvard Munch It's got standard third row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty.
1: Since the country's founding, the United States flag design has followed a fairly standard formula each time a new state has been added. The 13 original colonies are represented by the 7 red and 6 white stripes, while the current states themselves are represented by white stars against a field of blue in the upper left corner. Some things change from flag to flag. For example, when Oregon became a state in 1859, several different versions of the flag existed at the same time. One where the 33 separate stars were arranged in the shape of one big star, while another flag chose a diamond shape for them instead. But the blue background and the 13 stripes remain the same no matter what. But despite calls for change to the status quo, it seems people still love and admire the flag's simple yet iconic design. However, things were a bit different almost 60 years ago. After Alaska and Hawaii were admitted as states in 1959 and 1960, respectively, it had been decided that such a drastic change to the country required an equally drastic change to its flag. To that end, a government employee named Stanley Pratt solicited ideas for new flag designs from a group of Ohio residents. Within a week, he had flags of all shapes and sizes on his desk and had one of the toughest jobs of his career ahead of him judging every single submission. He wrote back to each entrant, explaining his decision. Almost everyone took it well, except for one. Robert Heft felt he had put a lot of work into his flag. He didn't just draw it on a piece of paper. He spent twelve and a half hours sewing a full-size version for Mr. Pratt. He kept the thirteen stripes of red and white, as well as the blue rectangle in the top left corner. The stars he arranged in a kind of grid pattern, the lines of five and six stars alternating until they numbered 50. Mr. Pratt's comments weren't entirely wrong. He felt Heft's flag lacked originality, which it did, but Heft felt that he had something special, something fit for a country. So he did what any self-respecting flag designer would do. He wrote his congressperson, Ohio Congressman Walter Moeller hoisted Robert's flag all the way up to the United States Congress for a vote. It didn't take much for him to convince his fellow congressmen of the flag's importance. They voted in favor of its design, and it was formally accepted as the new symbol of the United States on July 4th, 1960. Yeah, Independence Day. Poetic, right? However, the story doesn't end there. In fact, it wasn't even the whole story. You see, I haven't been completely honest with you about the flag's provenance. You might be asking why a government official went to Ohio to source a new design rather than open up the opportunity nationwide. And it's true that Robert Heft designed the flag, but he didn't do it as part of a contest. And Stanley Pratt technically did work for the government, but not for any federal agency. The flag had been part of a class project. Pratt had been a high school teacher and Robert Heft, his student. Robert ended up getting a B- on his project. Disappointed in his grade, he asked his teacher if there was anything he could do. After all, he'd spent an entire day stitching it together. It had to be worth more than a B-. So, Mr. Pratt gave him a seemingly impossible task. He told him if he could get the United States Congress to accept his design as the official national flag, then he'd change his grade to an A. Robert passed away in 2009, but his design lives on, flying over the White House and every government building across the country. Heff's family still possesses the original flag he made by hand, although museums and wealthy collectors have tried to purchase it. To them, it isn't just a piece of history. It's a family heirloom. And as for Mr. Pratt's promise, he made good on it. Robert got his A.